Alright, wonderful. Uh, welcome back. Episode 7, guys. Uh, I apologize for not being able to make an episode last week as I was just coming back from college and I was really focused on spending more quality time with my family in the immediate week. So I apologize for that. Uh, kind of a new experience this episode. I have someone that I have, haven't actually physically met before uh, in person. Uh, my friend Alan here. Um, so, kind of a new experience with that. So, before we begin, obviously, just tell the people a little bit about you, what your interests are, your interest in politics, whatever. Um, so, what's up? My name is Alan. Um, I go to SUNY New Paltz. I'm fairly interested in politics and economics and all that type of stuff, including current events and what's happening with COVID and this whole debacle around us. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. pretty much, that's my, that's so, my take. So social, okay, so social and economic issues, I'm, I'm guessing, but I want your opinion as, as someone who I haven't met in person, obviously, I don't really know what exactly your stances are. I've only gone off of some limited story posts that I've seen, which I've liked, by the way. Um, but um, I'm just curious, what type of issues would you say you align yourself most with? Are you mainly an economics guy, a foreign policy guy, domestic policy guy? Like, just what what ballpark are we working with so I can kind of tailor the episode to that? So I kind of have my foot in the water with all three. Um, the one that I pay, that I pay most attention to is probably economics because that impacts me the most. Um, I, I like to invest and trade equities and all of that. And I recently got uh, Bloomberg certified, so I'm, like, heavy into this economic stuff. Oh, right that's now. really cool. Wow. Okay. Thank you. I'm not even – honestly, like <laughs> – I, I have no idea. I'm very financially stupid in terms of like my my parents really make all my money and they 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 work in real estate. So you know I don't really know anything about like specific tax brackets and things like that. So hopefully your insight on that, I see it's your strength, uh, could give more. Hope uh, I can. Uh, I hope I can uh, give you some new info. Yeah, sure. So uh, before before we begin, I want to stress the point of this podcast to some people. I was talking. I obviously called up my cousins in Italian families. You have a lot of cousins. You know, you don't even know where the fuck they come from, but you have a lot of cousins. Um, but um, I was calling on my cousins, and a few of them were asking me, you know, what's the purpose? What are you trying to achieve with this? So just for the viewers quickly, um, the point of this podcast is obviously up to the viewer. What you want to take from it is up to you. But the reason I started this is to give people a point of view, a platform to make their voice heard in this new culture that we're seeing where, you know, if you don't agree with someone, and that's on both sides, I'm not going to look at one side here, yeah. but that, uh, but if you don't agree with someone, you know, you usually get shut down and a lot of, you know, totally irrelevant things happen to you. So that's really the reason why I'm doing this if you're a new viewer, if you're just tuning in. Uh, so that's really it. So I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, so let's talk about economics then. Uh, as far as, let's see, the transition to the Biden administration, let's assume here, even though there are claims of voter fraud, obviously, for right now, it hasn't brought much huge groundbreaking evidence, but we'll say right now we're transitioning to the Biden administration. What do you see in a change of economic policy? We have Trump as kind of a hardball conservative capitalist. What do you see in that change? That's a good question. Um, so I think there's primarily two layers to this. One is, is Biden going to actually enact the policies he's talking about? Because a lot of people, and I happen to agree with this point of view, a lot of people are saying that he's kind of like a puppet for more extreme or radical people i don't i don't like the word puppet too much but for lack of a better word i'll use it mm-hmm. um and then if he is actually going to enact the policies that he's talking about 
then we can start to see some things actually happen. So right now what's happening is that there's a lot of volatility in the stock market and that's driving everything up because nobody knows who's going to be in charge next year, right? Um, and the stock market hates volatility, but we, we have a pretty good picture of where our politics are going to be it, like outside of the presidency. Mm -hmm. We know that the Senate is most likely going to stay with Republicans. We know that the House is going to stay uh, with the liberals. The Supreme Court, obviously, we now have a conservative majority. So that's a big that's a big new uh, new occurrence. But economic policy, if if Biden gets into office, a lot of people like to say that only the people that are going to be taxed the top uh, top tax bracket, four hundred thousand dollars a year and up. But that also affects a lot of people making less than four hundred thousand dollars indirectly. Um, for example, payroll taxes are going to be increased. Uh, capital gains taxes are going to be increased. Capital gains is basically when you uh, trade stocks within a certain time frame. So the highest tax is on if you trade within one year, right? And some people, I'm not too sure about this. Don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure some people have actively managed the uh, 401ks and all of that uh, retirement type of stuff. So if it's actively managed, that means uh, people look at it and trade and invest and buy and sell pretty, pretty frequently. To actively manage, there's always stuff happening to it. Mm -hmm. So if that happens, people's retirements are gonna be taxed. Um, so that, that plays a large role in why a lot of conservatives don't like uh, Biden's economic policy. Mm -hmm. And also there's, um, what else is there? I'm kind of blanking on it right now, to be honest. But uh, there's, an, I think it's, I know the sales tax is going to increase, but also there's going to be uh, this tax on major corporations that everybody likes to talk about. Mm -hmm. The money isn't coming just out of the pockets of all these millionaires or billionaires or whatever. What happens is these corporations raise the prices of their products to negate the tax. So again, it falls on middle-class people, uh, lower-class people. It falls on everybody that you're trying to help. Mm -hmm. So you can't really help people by, you can't you can't tax a nation into prosperity. That's not something that happens. That's a very good point. So then I have kind of two follow-up questions with that. And as for the point you, you made up, uh, as far as my real, invested, real estate invested parents go, a potential solution they see to try to mitigate because unfortunately we fall, fall into that 400,000 upper uh, tax bracket. A solution they see to mitigate that effect would be to balance or tilt or tip the ratios of corporate versus residential properties. Um, apparently, I don't even know how that works, but apparently that's something that can be more, uh, that's less of a soft money, taxable li uh, li liquidity, whatever it is, I don't even know. But apparently that's how it works. Um, but the question I have is, since you're against this, um, ideology where the government interferes heavily in the economy with regards to the stock market and obviously the more consumerist economy that we in America have, what would be your solution? Would it be a lower tax rate? Would it be a flexible tax rate? Like what, what, what exactly would your solution be to this issue? In, in general or just like COVID times? Because I think COVID, uh, the way we deal with COVID is a little bit yeah, new and so different. Give both because there's definitely two different situations there. 
Okay, so if it was uh, life as usual, if I was, if everything was like back to normal or whatever, mm-hmm. I would uh, strongly endorse like uh, conservative and some libertarian policies financially, because, mm-hmm. like I said, you can't tax a nation into prosperity, and most of Keynesian economics and most of uh, what's it called? Most of the liberal ideologies on economics, they involve raising tax rates to account for the money that's missing mm-hmm. in every budget that we have to take care of, right? But it's not just as simple as raising people's taxes. People need money for different things. And money is not just a one-tool commodity. Money, money is a measurement tool. Money is uh, money money does a bunch of other things Uh, i'm kind of blanking on the terminologies right now but money does a lot of things and it's not exactly right to say that money only serves this purpose and if someone has more money then they they have to have like wronged somebody to get it Mm -hmm. i i really don't like that view but when it comes to covid it's a little bit of a different beast honestly i'm not too sure how someone would handle this but taxing people who lost their businesses, who are getting evicted, I, that seems like it's also not the best idea. Mm-hmm. But also, I don't, I don't necessarily think that just laissez-faire economics would work now either. Because if we just open everything up, free market everything, then all of these uh, massive corporations like Amazon, Walmart, they would all swoop in, destroy mom and pop businesses, mm-hmm. and then become monopolistic competitors. Also, so. I think yeah, no, I think that's that's great that you bring up the uh, contrast between laissez-faire and Keynesian, and I think that I think that there's definitely a two different uh, approach to this in terms of the situation that we're dealing with with COVID. Obviously, some Keynesian policies I feel are needed, but then again, how do we target? How do we make that affect less of the people that really need the injection of government funds? And make it more about affecting slightly, and this is sounds dangerous, I know, because I'm typically opposed to this. Uh, make it more affect the people who uh, need to invest more back into the U.S. economy. When I think of like big business owners back then, personally, I'm not really a big fan of of Bezos and Bill Gates. I really don't think that they're they reflect the type of same American entrepreneurship as Carnegie and Ford did back in the 1900s I and 1800s. I think I those agree. see Carnegie died. Obviously, he had his sins, whatever, as all business big business owners do. But Carnegie died penniless. He was a big uh, philanthropic enthusiast. And Harrison Ford, not the Star Wars guy, obviously a different guy. Or maybe I'm getting his first name wrong. It doesn't matter. Uh, I think it's Henry. Henry Ford. Right. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, he was a big proponent of paying his workers high salaries, higher than average salaries, because he thought that would increase efficiency. And he was also a very pr- big proponent of his workers investing back into the market that they were working in. So buying Ford trucks and buying Ford cars and investing back in to the employment. So I think that, you know, if we look at, because th- the culture is totally different today. You know, we have Amazon, which is an international business, which is getting mm-hmm. tax grants. And in my opinion, I think that they need to invest back more into the U.S. economy than they're currently doing. I mean, there's you know, there's working conditions that definitely could be better. I think wages could be slightly higher. I know that sounds a little, you know, socialist, and I'm not a socialist, but I think specifically when it comes to, like, the very high top top few percent, because the thing is when, when Clinton was president, I read a, read a little bit about this. You can obviously fact check me wherever I'm wrong. Um, he really, he was actually a proponent, and this is what really confuses me about Republicans, that they still trash Clinton for this, 
even though he was literally a capitalist that continued the same neoliberal policies as Reagan did, he increased the income tax rate of the top some sub-5% um, by 3%. So it was like a 30-something. The income tax rate for the top bracket has always been somewhere around the 30s from what I remember. I'm probably wrong, though. Um, but he jumped it a little bit and, in, and then in turn invested heavily in the private sector, which I'm a big proponent of. You know, my, my last person who came on, Max, he advocated for similar policies to that, that free market that supports the smaller business. Doesn't obviously make, you know, forced equality because that's obviously, as yeah. you said, not profitable and there is an ideal tax rate. Um, but something like that so that the business pay a little bit more of their fair share. So I guess, yeah, that's that's definitely a, a different situation. My question to you, sorry for that whole spiel. Um, no, it's all good. Take your time. My, this my, is your show. Yeah, my question for you is how would you model the, um, you know, think about FDR and the crisis he was dealing with. How would you compare that recession or the Great Depression to now? You think there's so much of an economic impact? You think there's such a need for government intervention? Because people called FDR a socialist, so I'm just curious, how would you compare the two landmark economic events? Um, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure FDR implemented or wanted to implement like a 90-something percent tax rate on yeah. the, the richest people. He had a, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, all I'm going to say is I'm not for that at all. Yeah. I don't support that. That makes no sense to me, but maybe Maybe in his mind it made sense, but I just don't see how taxing uh, people can make a country wealthy, especially when governments are not known for being effective in what they want to carry out. Like mm. they they tend to be slow. They tend to there's a lot of bureaucracy you've got to mm. go through. Mm. That's that's kind of the argument for private sector over a government because private sector is they they don't have to go through as much bureaucracy they can get stuff done a lot quicker a lot faster mm -hmm. i think a great example of that would be uh elon musk uh with his um reusable boosters um I, i'm pretty sure I, I read something about a nasa uh, aerospace engineer being asked like how long you would take to do this how how much money you would take and his response was something along the lines of like five to six years and 12 billion dollars elon musk did it in i believe one year and under a billion dollars mm. so he grossly undercut what that aerospace engineer was saying yeah i think ideally and again when i, when I say about these fair share businesses i'm talking in the context of the culture of the country now i don't think right now the top business are like gates and um bezos are really paying their quote-unquote fair share but when you have you know big business owners like elon musk and other various names that do invest back into the US economy, the ideal is actually what you said, and that's something I agree with, is that tax cuts, yes, okay, they have more money, but with the the stipulation that they should invest back into the US economy or invest back into the environment, do some kind of humanitarian aid for it. So I, I like that policy where the the tax cuts act as an incentive rather than the yeah. increase of tax as a decentive. So I'm I'm definitely totally for and that's a totally different like philosophy debate almost, is that you know, what can work more effectively, adding a decentive or adding a deterrent in terms of high taxes um, or adding an incentive and pushing people to invest? Because another concern that Max, who was my last uh, guest, talked about, and he's running for mayor, actually, and he advocates oh, wow. for, for similar policies to you. He's very ambitious. He's 18. You know, he has no political experience. But, you know, James Madison was also 18 when he helped write the Constitution. So whatever. That's true. 
But, um, yeah, he's a little ambitious, but he actually advocates for similar policies that you do. And um, it's more of a very free economy-based thing that the, the, the issue that he has with these high taxes is that it's going to push big billionaires out. Like a lot of oligarchs in Russia and obviously people like Donald Trump here, they have banks in other countries. They're, they have, you know, assets elsewhere in case, you know, government policy doesn't work out. So just what do you think about that point? There's clearly a direct relationship to you know, where billionaires are, are focused and where they're going to move their assets to based on the government policy. So in your eyes, obviously, it's a pretty easy, pretty easy question. Could that be a legitimate factor for uh, advocating against high taxes? Um, I, I think so, yes. And we can, we can look at a more localized example, too. It's, it's not just um, moving to different countries. It's, you can look at uh, all these uh, Wall Street magnates leaving Wall Street and moving to Florida or to, to I don't know, Tennessee or Texas, wherever. Exactly. Texas is booming right now because yep. everybody's moving there. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, you've got to look at why are they moving here and why are they leaving these places? Well, they're leaving these places because the tax rates they have to pay, the income tax, real estate tax, uh, whatever other taxes they have to pay, they're crushing these businesses. And nobody likes high taxes, especially not big business, especially when they have all this power to maneuver and manipulate the environment around them, legally speaking. They have a lot of power. So why would they stay in a place that's crippling them when they can move to Texas or Florida where everything is flourishing right now? No. So you don't even have to look to a different country where a lot of multinational uh a lot of billionaires that run multinationals and multinational organizations, they have uh, they have bank accounts elsewhere to begin with to run that business in that country. So they can move there like that. It's mm -hmm. the working class people that are left behind after all these billionaires leave. And what happens when all these billionaires leave? Somebody has to pick up the slack in terms of tax collection, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody has to pay all that tax. And what ends up happening is the tax falls mm -hmm. on the middle and lower class people. So everyone, yes, everyone is equal. Everyone is in the same uh, financial situation, but everybody's starving equally. Mm -hmm. You know, That's an interesting I, point. I would rather have like disproportionate amounts of of luxury and opulence than the same amount of death and starvation and suffering. Than mandated equality. Yeah, that's that's a very yeah. good point. And I think that you know, as you know, as as outside of the political sphere and as kind of you know. Jimmy Carter-esque as Biden and Sanders seem to be, as like generous as they seem to be, I think it's a little naive to assume they're, uh, they're some of their ideas, right? That how could we possibly pay for, say, hypothetically, and obviously I'm going to have people that are going to back up their points on the show, and so to create an actual information source, um, how can we truly, and that's a question I'll ask, obviously, how can we truly pay, how can we pay for universal Medicare and other programs that are designed to increase uh, equality of of outcome so i think that's a very interesting point to you bring up so i'm gonna guess right now that you're probably majoring in something business or economics related in college right yeah okay. i'm doing business analytics with a minor in economics so i'm just curious this is kind of a point uh, that came up when i was talking to my friend william shout out um he brought up the laffer curve and like an ideal tax rate as opposed to a you know, as opposed to like what the limit should be on government revenue and how can that how that can truly profit a country. So I'm just curious, is there is could there possibly be some like algorithmic, you know, definition of based on the situation, obviously, whatever, notwithstanding, we can't control society. 
But is yeah. there some kind of algorithmic formula that could determine an ideal tax rate? I'm just curious. Um, I'm going to be honest. I don't really know if there is an algorithmic formula or whatever, but um, there definitely could be. And I think the problem with uh, how our economy is run is that we're implementing too many different contradicting philosophies at once mm. and not letting them each play out like to their strengths. Like um, we have, uh, I don't want to say welfare state, but we have welfare I was going to get to welfare. Go on. Yep. Well, like look. for the lower class, right? Yep. But we also have a progressive tax rate. Mm -hmm. So the people at the very bottom have all of these welfare programs that they can use, but also they're being taxed extremely little amounts. In some cases, they're not being taxed at all. Whereas I think the top, I think the top tax bracket in New York pays 73% of uh, New York state's uh, taxes. Wow. I know or that. something like that, like a crazy amount, over 70%, right? Wow. And I don't, I don't necessarily think, like, yes, they have wealth, but I don't think it's fair that they're taxed so much that it accounts for 73% of our state's economy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think, I don't know, I'm kind of a proponent of, uh, I mean, not really a proponent, but I see, I see positives in maybe a flat tax rate maybe the same tax rate for everyone but minimizing it like lower than what the top class pays higher than what the bottom class pays but we keep the welfare incentive uh wel welfare projects and programs there mm -hmm. so they can still access it and benefit from it but there's a flat tax rate and everyone gets taxed equally so no one's in poverty i mean there will still be poverty but nobody's so impoverished that they can't afford food or medical care but like they're still being taxed at a reasonable amount, you know? Yeah, I, I, I see that's a similar, that's a point that's similar to what uh, Max brings up. And I, that's great that you brought up welfare because it transitions right into what I want to talk about because I'm interested as to what you think the successes of and the failures of the welfare state are because my friend Max, and I now agree with this after kind of postulating it, um, he believes in welfare that does not take the form of money. He's a proponent of welfare of economic opportunity, that the, mm -hmm. uh, the bottom, obviously, I guess you could say, the more poorer class of America uh, should have, in instead of being just handed money, they should be given local jobs, like working at polling sites or working on maybe railroads or something or planting trees or something. And that's, it's actually similar to what, he what his idea is. It's actually similar to what FDR did, because there are some plans that obviously that 97 tax rate percentage thing is ridiculous and you know he's done a lot of ridiculous things or he did a lot yeah. of ridiculous things in his in his terms like you know obviously japanese internment you know totally unethical and uh packing the courts which is a big issue now which will lead into because i'm trying to get a social segment in here um but the thing is that i was just curious what you think about that type of economic incentive uh, form of welfare because that's what my friend prominently brings up and wants to implement if he becomes mayor which is obviously knock on wood best of luck to him yes yeah, so uh, i was just curious what you think about that as someone who has more of a financial mind and definitely he does <laughs> um so i like that idea i think that's a very good idea and i also think that uh that's that's one of the major reasons why i like uh, president trump because he uh, he started the the opportunity zones program with uh senator i think it was tim scott i'm not 
I might be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure it was Senator Tim Scott. Mm -hmm. He started this Opportunity Zones program where they um, they send a lot of uh, money in the form of investments into these impoverished communities. And in turn, what happens is these communities now have more capital for more employment. They can employ more people or they can raise people's salaries, uh, give people extra benefits or bonuses. They have more capital to work with. So I really like that. But at the end of the day, I think everything somewhat comes down to money, you know, because mm -hmm. jobs and money, they uh, they both don't just come out of nowhere. They have to they have to be there for you to use them. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm 100 percent for the uh, welfare in the form of jobs, but those jobs have to be there. Right. Mm -hmm. So for poll workers, I think that's a great idea. But depending on where you are, there's not too many it's not too many jobs planting trees or railroads, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, in general, I like this idea, but we would have to implement, I think, a complementary uh, legislation to create those jobs and to allow more areas to uh, employ more people. Yeah, so, I mean, when I'm looking at these candidates, I definitely personally favor Trump economically. I'm obviously a much bigger proponent of uh, of free market capitalism than I am of government control of a government controlled economy. Not to say that you know, no one should be taxed. Obviously, like that's yeah. obviously a, a revolutionary idea. Um, but um, I'm definitely I lean more towards that. Obviously, on political compass tests and whatnot. So um, I definitely agree with that line of reasoning. So maybe you know, hey, after this episode, you know, it's entirely possible he could hit you up. He definitely needs new campaign advisors for his. Uh, mayoral launch so that might be something you could get interested in i don't know you know it's all his ambitions so obviously in your own time so um no it's a very interesting point you think you brought up and at first i was very like sedimentary on the welfare state and that the, the issue that i realized that came with it is that you know when you just give money out instead of economic opportunity sometimes that money falls to the wrong hands which i think is a strong criticism of the current welfare state is that the people that are getting these government checks aren't putting them to use and the justification there are there are justifications for giving welfare to people who don't necessarily deserve it like in social security as they're above 65 they can't physically work and they need to feed their families so yeah. um i think that the justification of um giving people money that they don't deserve is present in some situations but needs to be kind of ruled out a little bit when you consider you know just giving money to people that aren't going to invest it back into the use economy so you know, I yeah. think that's an interesting point to bring up, but I want to kind of move to a little bit more of a, a social segment because we're rounding like 30 minutes right now. I didn't want to keep this episode too long because obviously a lot of people uh, have their Thanksgiving plans as you do as well. Um, but I was just curious, you know, despite the seemingly economic edge that Trump has, which again, you know, Biden does have some good economic points. I won't, you know, discredit him there, but why is it that he, why is it then, in your opinion, that he has uh, become so unpopular in terms of a 300 to 200 electoral vote landslide? Then, if he has such good economic policies, why do you think he's become so unpopular? I'm just curious. So I know this is somewhat cliche nowadays, but I, I really do think that the media was not impartial at all. Mm -hmm. the, the media, if you pay attention, it's very clearly biased mm -hmm. towards um, Biden and the status quo let's say mm -hmm. of what used to be washington elitist 
And I thought a great example of that was when he selected um, John Kerry for, I think, the, I forgot, I think it was the Secretary of State or, or, or Treasury or something. I, I'm not sure. But he, cabinet position, yeah. Yeah, he selected John Kerry for his cabinet position. And, and honestly, I couldn't help but chuckle because everyone that voted against Trump because, oh, my God, he's this bad dude. But then everyone's saying they hate the status quo when when it doesn't get much more status quo than uh, John Kerry, the man who was for bombing Iraq, the man who. I don't want to say he's probably a hundred percent. I was about to say that uh, I think that he he's kind of responsible for the Iraq war, but I don't want to go that far. Mm. There were a lot of players in there. But I just don't think he he had too many successes in terms of foreign policy or politics in general. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a prime example of uh, how the media twisted the twisted the narrative and said, "Oh my God, Trump is this evil Hitlerian man." And I I think that's very disrespectful mm-hmm. to people who actually suffered under Hitler. And I think that Trump Trump yes he has his faults as do all of us. He's human. But I think, relatively speaking, he did a pretty good job. Yeah, well, um, I definitely see I see the logic in your point. You bring up the media, and I think, really, what so many people are ignoring, even the even like the conservative groups are are kind of ignoring because they're just focusing on larger media forms of censoring, is like the little minuscule ways. Like, for example, on my Snapchat feed, and I'm not just saying this to trash the left. This is objectively what I'm seeing. Um, I'm seeing, you know, now this. Uh, brought these two quote-unquote impartial news sources when they were covering the debate I saw very little to non-existent uh, coverage on whatever Trump's strengths were in those debates which I obviously don't remember now but um, I saw very little coverage of that the only uh, completely impartial uh, news source that I saw on snapchat was verify and they criticized Trump and fact-checked him but they also supported his claims for example they support his claim in the second debate when he said that the immigration cages were made under the Obama administration, 2014, 2015, which is a true fact. And he has lowered carbon emissions since the beginning of his first term, and obviously 2016. So I think, you know, when it comes to this this micro way of just, you know, mismanaging information, I think so many people can just be totally misinformed. And that's there's even other yeah. little ways. On Instagram, you know, some conservative capitalist accounts will be, you know, they won't show up in the search feed, and that's a proxy yeah. way. Not to say that, you know, the right doesn't censor at all. You know, Fox News, I think, is at fault for putting on uh, crazy, you know, left-leaning guests and just generally, you know, de- generalize them as the Democrat Party, which they're typically yeah. not. I don't, you know, I don't like when they do that either. Exactly. That's, that's disingenuous. So I think it's the fault of both parties, and this is what I'm going to go to again, is that I really do not like the two-party system. I think it's the fault of both parties and the media that backs them is why we're in such political division. I think they're profiting off, and it's unfortunately one of the failures, I think, of capitalism is that off of conflict, usually people profit, and it could be even seen now as modern-day war profiteering, title for the episode, because it sounds sick, but... Um, Great title. Thank you, but um, no, I love, as someone who's a capitalist, you know, I have to say that that is one of the faults, is that when you have a, manip- when you have a monopoly on something like information or a human right, you know, which I think information is, you know, 
it, it could get very messy. So just your thoughts on, on that general principle that there should be some resources that should be touched and that could be a fault of capitalism. Um, I do agree. Um, however, I don't necessarily think it's a fault of capitalism that monopolies exist. I think it's fault of, uh, I think it's humans. I think it's greed. And I don't think that capitalism necessarily means intrinsically that there is greed involved. I think capitalism is just an ex a willing exchange from one person to the other, right? Exchange mm -hmm. of goods, exchange of services, exchange of whatever you want to exchange. A lot of people seem to um, think that capitalism is rooted in greed and rooted in exploitation. And I, I don't really understand where this idea came from because uh, capitalism has freed pretty much the, in, uh, I don't want to say the entire world, but a large portion of the world's, world's population from poverty. If you look at America, right? If you look at poverty in America, the lowest class of Americans, like American earners, they live comfortably as opposed to like low class Brazilians, let's say, or Venezuelans even. Yeah. People in Venezuela are starving. They're eating dogs and cats. They're losing weight statistically. I saw that, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't think that's necessarily a fault of capitalism. I think that's something else, but people like to tie that in. And that that's actually one of my uh, big pet peeves. I don't like intersectionality a lot because once you start to mix, mix arguments and mix positions and mix different facts and information, it gets everybody confused and it doesn't solve anything. I think that's right. a very interesting point that you bring up, uh, that capitalism inherently as an ideology isn't tailored to the context of current American business owners, like big business owners like Gates and uh, Bezos. Yeah. So I think that's a very interesting point that, that you bring up, that the system, and I apologize for saying that when I say that I mean under a context of today in which, not monopolies, monopolies have their benefits obviously, but um, I'm saying in the context of today, the huge grasp that the media has on information could be seen as yeah. a monopoly. And I think in the context of this American capitalism, that could be a flaw of it. So I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to generalize that as a flaw of the ideology itself, because obviously aspects of that uh, have worked. I mean, you see like the loans that various Western European countries were granted after World War II were because of the capitalist policies of America that the Soviets could not give mm -hmm. that same economic aid to the Warsaw Bloc, so, uh, I th or the Warsaw Pact, rather. Um, so I think that's a very good point that you bring up. Um, you know, I just wanted to wrap this video up uh, with the um, kind of that standing point, because I don't want, obviously, this to... Usually yeah. my episodes are much longer, and I apologize uh, for that, but no, um, no I'm sure people have their plans, and I'm sure you do as well, so... Um, I want to thank you for being on this. I, it was really interesting because, you know, again, we haven't met in person. This is kind of new for me, new for you as well. I really appreciate you uh, kind of having the gumption to come on and do this. Um, yeah. And I really liked a lot of the thoughts that you provided. And hopefully it's an episode that the uh, viewers can listen to, hopefully without yeah. getting too political uh, at the table. But hopefully it's something that they can listen to while uh, enjoying their food or their leftovers. So I really want to thank you. Obviously going to plug yeah. you somewhere in the video description, whatever, if you want, yeah, sure. obviously we'll discuss yeah. that. Sure. Um, but I want to thank well, you. For thank coming you. On. Uh, yeah. Thank you for having me on. I yeah, know we haven't actually like met really. We will. Though. We definitely will. We know Nika. Nika's everywhere. You know, he's, he's, That's true. he's a, li every, yeah. a little bit everywhere. So we'll yeah. definitely meet at one point and have a much deeper conversation. But uh, to all the viewers, I want to say to have a happy and a healthy Thanksgiving and obviously stay safe for everyone. 
Thank you for tuning in. New episodes will be next week. Yada, yada, yada. You know the drill. All right. Thank you, guys.